episode of um, An Uncommon Dialogue at Healing Network. So we have a fellow here named Joe. Joe, how are you? Hello, I am Joe. <laughs> you are Joe. <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. Oh, that's good. Joe, so you're down in Melbourne at the moment, is it correct? Tis true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been living here for 10 years now. Just yeah. 10 years. Like last, last week was my 10 year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So, uh, 10 years in Melbourne or 10 years in Australia? Because clearly you have an accent. Yeah, I'm from Manchester. <laughs> yeah. England. Yeah. It comes and it goes, though. It depends who I'm talking to, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, does that mean you're a Manchester United fan? No, I don't really follow any football or any sport, really. Mm -hmm. It just never grabbed me. Yeah. Um, but my dad's a true blue, like, Man City supporter. He's diehard. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, most of the family go for City. I think there's a couple of Arsenal fans and a couple of, yeah, football's crazy in the UK, but I don't really dabble into it too much. So, Joe, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you do. What do I do? I never really call myself a musician, although I am a musician. I, I produce music. We're in a studio now. I can show you. I make music in here, and I'm also um, a youth worker or social counsellor or something. Yeah. yeah, I'm out there mm -hmm. trying to make some social change. Where, what have you done with your music? Who have you worked with? And what, what? Um, yeah, so yeah, people know me as Motley. That's something else. Yeah, um, yeah I've been making hip-hop music since 2005, officially. Mm -hmm. Probably since 2000, unofficially, just in my bedroom. Yep. Um, and yeah, I got to, got to tour with some pretty big artists. Um, Nas, Wu-Tang, Dilated Peoples, they were really cool as well. They full took me under their wing. Evidence was like, oh, you showed me around Manchester and the UK, so if you're ever in LA, give me a shout. Yes. So I did. I purposely went to LA just because I wanted to hang out. Yeah, met some pretty cool people and then made some music with um, Bliss and Esso in Sydney and 360 down here and Briggs and... Mm -hmm. One Six and the Africans and for Remy. Been around a bit, but yeah, that's not really what I'm kind of focusing on at the minute, though. That kind of feels like another lifetime ago. Yeah, <laughs> what's your passion now? What are you doing now? Well, music's still my passion, but I guess it's in a slightly different lane. I mean, you would know being in the entertainment circles. Um, even music's got so it's such a rainbow you know what I mean and even hip hop itself there's a rainbow within hip hop so you know you got all the stuff from the states and, and then you get UK and Aussie rap and even within the states there's a multitude of different styles even just within there do you know what I mean so I feel like I've switched lanes a little bit within the genre if that makes sense you're talking about, you know, the scene in Australia and the scene in the UK and the scene, you know, there in America. What would you say some of the variables are in those cliques? Well, like I said, even just within America, there's a rainbow. There's a plethora of hip-hop styles. Um, and you have maybe like an East Coast sound or a boom-bap sound. You have a West Coast or a gangster sound. Or you could have that South, which is now transmuted into pop music. 
apparently it's the most popular genre in the world now, trap and hip hop. Mm. Um, and that's just in the States and that's, you can go into Christian rap and all kinds of other stuff within that. And then in the UK, I guess you've got uh, the stuff that I used to listen to, like Mud Fam and the Skinny Man and Rodney P and Black Twang, which was more, I guess, influence from New York. The sound was very, you could just bounce your head to it kind of thing, but more with a grittier, I don't know, UK spin on it. It wasn't very glamorized. It wasn't Hollywood. It was real. Or maybe it just felt more real because I'm from the UK. I don't know. Maybe that's a perspective thing. But then, you know, reggae influences the UK big time. That's why everyone talks like, yes, bad man, wagwan. Everyone's talking like they're from backyard. Even, doesn't matter where you come from, everyone talks like that now. So that's had a massive influence on the UK scene. And um, in drum and bass and all the rave stuff that was going on, the garage stuff, and now it's become grime or dubstep and all that kind of stuff is, I guess, considered a, a version of hip hop. Mm. Um, and you know, you've got New Soul and all. Oh, there's such, there's so many, so many branches. How do you think Australian hip hop varies in terms of culture? Because I know that we know a few of the same people in the music industry, and and obviously what we what we know in I suppose mainstream music, I, I've, yeah, I'd like to get your opinion on how different you think the Australian scene is. The Australian scene is very different. It's mm. very unique. It's starting to become a bit more diverse as there's new people making hip hop. And the new people making hip-hop in Australia are being influenced by the new people being making music outside of Australia. So it's a generational shift that I'm seeing. Um, when I first came here 10 years ago, it was very heavily dominated by the Anglo-Australian um, demographic. And I kind of assimilated to that because that was where the gravity was within the scene. And I think that's why I have maybe taking that recent shift because I felt like I was making music for somebody else for a long time. Although I always loved making beats, I loved music. There was something in it that was me, but wasn't truly me, <laughs> if that makes sense. It was a, it was an aspect of me, a, a version of me presented to a, yeah. an audience. So it's almost like um, having to come get yourself together to create something for the purpose of the listener rather than the purpose of your soul, really. Yeah, which I think a lot of new artists do. And like I said, I was, I've only been making music for a couple of years. I've been on these wow, amazing tours, got to do arena tours even with Nelly and Beyonce, massive, massive 20,000 people. And I was just climbing this path at rocket speed, mm. just being told what to do, because it was all new to me, you know? I was like, holy shit, I'm on tour with Beyonce. What the hell? <laughs> um, and yeah, being groomed in radio interviews, you know? When you talk to labels, they have like a media de development department, and I was being um, developed, <laughs> groomed. I was being trained. I was being told to lie, basically. I was, I was being manipulated 
feeling like this was the only way though, you know, like I'm touring with Nelly and Beyonce, Nas, like they must have all had some level of this to get to where they are. This is what I'm thinking, you know, as a new artist, how did they get to that spot? They had to go on this radio and they had to say this to these guys and they had to do that. And that's what I'm doing. I'm following the footsteps. It felt a bit icky at times. Do you find that, would you think the term selling yourself would suit that? Yeah, definitely. But you don't realize it at the time. It's not like you feel like you're doing something really, like you don't feel like a prostitute even though you are a prostitute because you're enjoying the prostitute game. Do you know what I mean? So you don't feel like it. It's like, I guess, it's like some strippers that say, no, I only do this because I like doing it. But really, you know, there's another, there's something else there as well. And I guess I was chasing a dream, you know, and I was young and naive and thinking this is the way Sony records are talking to me. I'm not, I'm Warner Brothers and, you know, all these labels were coming at me and telling me we got a million pounds to do this and we got this, this and this. And I'm like, okay, what? let's get it cracking. <laughs> this is my dream, you know. I'm talking to Def Jam UK, they put me in the studio with this guy and this guy and I'm like... Def Jam aren't going to stiff me. That's Red Man and that's Method Man. And that's, you know what I mean? I'm thinking they know the business. And then they tried to make me sound like UK Nelly and put this R&B twist on it. And I was just getting manipulated from left to right, wherever I landed in the game. It just felt like they're doing it again. This is it. Yeah. You really love what you're doing, Motley. You're such a producer and a sick writer, but if you could just make something for the clubs or something to get the girls dancing or, you know, you got this market, you're very marketable. We could do this and we could, I'm like, and then it makes you feel like you're the failure because you're not delivering, do you know what I mean? And I'm like, these joints are hard, but they're just rejected on some level. Yeah. Start looking at yourself like, am I doing something wrong here? Is it my fault? Yeah, yeah. And then, um you start looking at it like, nah, they're trying to fit me in a mold that I don't fit into. That's all it is. Maybe I should just get out of that and just do what the hell it is that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So I guess that's the lane switch that I was talking about, just yeah. becoming more organic in every sense. Yeah, it's very interesting that you say that because I can relate that to myself, actually. You know, that, that system of of being presented particular opportunities and um, knowing that you want to take them, but then when you take them and you get there, the vibe doesn't feel right. Oh, shit, what do I have to do now in order to be able to maybe even, you know, follow that carrot or, or, or get to where it is that I thought I wanted to go to and now that I'm on the path, I'm not really sure if this is where I want to be. We only know by experience, you know, you, you have a whole selection of ice creams. You don't know your favorite ice cream, so you've tasted them all. You, you got to be in it and then you know. Yeah. How do you think that that experience molded you? I mean, it taught me to be more thorough in what I want out of the music or out of life. I thought I wanted this aspect of it, but really I, I wanted something else, you know what I mean? I just wanted to express myself and be heard. I didn't really want to be the next whoever. And I didn't want to have to dress a certain way or be a, do the dance, the puppet. I didn't want to, I'm my own person. I'm very anti-authority, like there's no hierarchy in my life. So I'm not trying to dance for somebody. I'm trying to just express myself. And if that, that those vibes get caught, 
then cool. And if not, I'm just a star shining. Just and if I, <laughs> you don't get to see every single star, but some of them just catch your eye now and again, and you think that's a pretty star, and that's all it's supposed to be. Do you know what I mean? Joe, there was something that I read online um, about you having a near-death experience that pushed you to start doing music. It's my favourite topic ever. Is that? <laughs> Share it. I'm so keen to hear it. I've been waiting to hear you talk about it, actually. All right. I was already making music before that. I mean, the, the near-death experience happened on my 33rd birthday about five years ago. So I'd already been making music five, ten years before that, but it... It was probably part of that transition from the, the lane, so it links in because I guess just up until that point, a lot of my music was quite quite lighthearted, quite fun. I would uh, <laughs> I would like to think you could just nod your head to it, have a like have a barbecue, whatever, have some drinks, and it was it was nice music to vibe to. And I was always proud of myself that um, even though I suffered a bit of racism growing up. I was always able to bring different races to the spot and eradicate that thought and not let that control my thought of the world. Like it's a racist place out there. Even I'm getting targeted and I could erase that and say, nah, it's not a racist world. There's just some people that are not educated. But in my spot, we all share the same respect and we all vibe off the, off the music. And that's, I thought that was kind of my life calling, you know, I've always been one to bring people to the gathering up until that point, I was making music that brought people together and I was happy with that. And I was like, this is cool. Women, men, any sex, any sexual orientation, any color, any religion, it doesn't, we're, we're all in this because we love this shit. <laughs> that was it. But then after the near-death experience, it did change my perception on what am I doing here, you know, and life's going on. I remember coming back from the near-death experience, zombified, not in, just numb, and just wandering around. And there's so much construction going on in Melbourne, probably in Australia, all over the place. But I was like, things are getting built, things are being demolished, this life just keeps going on. There's kids in the playground over there, like laughing and screaming, and I'm just looking at it all like, like I'm not a part of it anymore. And it doesn't matter whether I'm here or not. I felt so insignificant. And it started making me think, right, well, what am I actually here for? I came back for something and I was puzzled for a bit and I started looking at the music that I was making. I'm like, yeah, this is cool, but it'd be good if we could get everyone together and then just, just give them something like this download of realness, change the lives within that moment as well. So we're not just having a good time. We're actually growing spiritually as well and evolving. And that just came over the next couple of years after the experience, I just kept having these downloads and these thoughts. And It's interesting that you mentioned downloads and thoughts, Joe, because um, in spirituality, well, I'm a big believer, you know, well, I mean, you know, English, if we, if we take it back to the roots, you know, to be inspired means to be in spirit. I've always thought that, yeah. Even before the experience, I didn't know what it was, but when I write something, sometimes I'll be like, oh, where did that come from, you know? What was the actual um, experience, if, Joe, if I, if I didn't miss it, the actual situation? All right, so it was my birthday party. I'd just finished touring, and I'm not a big drinker or I'm a smoker now, <laughs> but I never used to be a smoker or never used to be into any kind of drugs, right? I, I was really green, naive, 
might try something here and there, but you know. Anyway, had been on tour and every single tour they give you a bottle of liquor, there you go. And I got like, after a while, cause I drink gin and tonic, but not, I don't drink a whole bottle of gin and tonic every night. <laughs> but they still give it to you anyway. So I started next, I was like, okay, I'll get a bottle of brandy then. Okay, I'll get a bottle of whiskey and gin, yeah. And I had this whole collection off the back of this tour. And I said, come on guys, it's my birthday. I got this whole selection here. We've got some food, got liquor. We're gonna have a good house party, old school style. And then yeah, one friend came quite early in the game as well. It was only about 10.30 and he was like, hey Mots, I've got a little gift for you in the bedroom. So I didn't really know what it was. He chopped it up. And then online, that was it. Yeah, I started feeling lightheaded and blurry. Couldn't see people properly. I was stumbling around my own house. People are trying to take selfies with me and I can't even focus. I don't even, can't see properly. Yeah. Said to my friend, I reckon I'm gonna just go and lie down for a bit. So everyone's having a good time in my house and I'm passing out in my bedroom. And yeah, it just got from bad to worse, basically. Uh, the party got cancelled. I ended up passing out completely. My stomach shut down. Um, I started foaming at the mouth. It started going in reverse. My respiratory system shut down. I stopped breathing. And then my heart stopped. And I was just out. Luckily, I had a good friend with me. And she called the ambulance. The ambulance was quite far away. So they, they got a fire truck in the vicinity and they're trained with CPR. And they, so they're trying to tell my friend how to get me going again. Meanwhile, I'm on my bed. So the mattress is taking all the bounce. I'm just stiff. The mattress is bouncing. The fire brigade come, cut all my shirt off and then drag me out into the living room. Boom, 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 like luggage. This is all secondhand information, what my friend was telling me now. And they were just going hard, like trying to beat me the beat me up awake. And yeah, I was just still flatline. I wasn't moving, wasn't anything. Uh, a couple more minutes had passed and the ambulance came and they, same thing, tried to get me resuscitated. I'm still not moving. And they eventually put a mask on me, put the tubes up my nose and give me an injection of Narcan. Um, and then that's when I just <laughs> the biggest, longest gasp of air just came. Life just came back in, you know, that prana energy. My body was just turned off for a minute, shaking, couldn't, couldn't control myself. I was freezing, felt like I'd been lying on ice. My lips were purple. All my body temperature had dropped way low. And they just said, you want to come to hospital? You have to ask your permission. I'm like, yeah, I think I should go. I think so. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was pretty intense. But at the time, it didn't feel intense. It felt like I was just falling asleep. Felt peaceful. Didn't feel didn't feel anything really. I just felt drowsy. I was like, I could hear my friends in the background. They was, Come on, Mots, you're lightweight. Get up. It's your birthday. I, I remember as I was drifting away. <laughs> they didn't realize I was dying. Obviously. obviously. <laughs> So I was taken to hospital and then that's when I was saying the next few days I was bruised and just a bit tender and sore, but I, psychologically I was vacant. I was very withdrawn. I had weird thoughts like, what if I'm still dead? What if I'm not even back? What if I'm just a ghost right now? <laughs> How do I know? I don't know if I'm real. I don't know what's real anymore. It all freaked me out. I was like, if I was a ghost, probably wouldn't be in the kitchen doing these dishes. 
I thought we'd be doing some cool girl shit. <laughs> I convinced myself that you must be back. Because <laughs> look where you are, you're back in Fitzroy washing dishes. <laughs> so yeah, it took me a minute to adjust and, and get back to life. I, I, I remember trying to just run back into it and just being like, no, I'm back to work, working with the youth work again. And, but still my mind would be drifting and I'd be like snapping back into work and my mind would be going like, and I was just like, you know what, maybe I came back a bit too soon. <laughs> maybe <laughs> a week or two after just having that. It took, a, it took me a minute to fully appreciate how severe it was, you know, the severity of the situation and how it could have quite easily been a different way. And it was like, right, you got to pull your socks up now. Don't just be trying any old, just because your friend said here, you know, like you got to respect your body as well. Like, Has it made you appreciate certain things on a different level? 100%. Life is beautiful. Even though it has its shit times, it has its worst times ever. Nature, it's just beautiful. The whole planet's beautiful. You just have to look at it the right way, do you know what I mean? And I try to get out there as much as I can, just even down the creek or the lake around the corner. That's all I want to do now. That's truthfully, I want to give everything up and just go and live in the bush. And That would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like the only thing that's stopping me is my insecurities or fears or what if it goes wrong? Like my mum worries, like, and just <laughs> like, I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it. Joe, you mentioned that you were doing youth work and um, in, in the beginning you, you had mentioned about that's where you're putting your efforts or maybe making an impact. What, how are you making an impact there? Shortly after I started making music, I was invited to a youth centre in Manchester, well, in a small town called Oldham. They'd see me in the newspaper with Beyonce and Nelly and they was like, you're from the same town, like, can you come in and inspire these kids? They look up to you and... And I was like, oh, I've only been making music two, three years. I'm not the right person to look up to. I don't really know what I'm doing still. I'm still finding my own way. Like, and I was like, nah, please just come down. The kids will be excited. I'm like, oh. I was so scared to be like at the front of the room and having these kids looking at me, looking up to me. Like I felt such a responsibility and I can't be a fraudster. I've got to tell the truth. You know what I mean? Because I always felt like adults lived in this bubble and kids lived in this other underworld bubble. And it's like, you, they tell you lies about Santa Claus and, you know, the, and then all of a sudden you pop out of it. You're in the real world and it's like shit. And you're like, oh, I wish I would have been more prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> So I felt this responsibility to, if I don't know the answer to the, because I, I, I put so much pressure on myself, I've got to know this, I've got to know that, and I'm only just learning it myself. And I just thought, if I don't know it, I'm just going to tell them I don't know, because that's the honest truth. So I went in there and they was like, oh, I thought you was a DJ. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not DJing anymore. I've a DJ for like two, three years. I've been producing beats and making raps. And they're like, oh, show us that then. So I just started showing them some of my beats that I made and um, started writing some raps on the board. And it was like, oh, that's so sick, we wanna do that. So it just got me excited. I'm like, all they have to do is just be me and show them what I'm doing. And they just love that because they've, like, they've never had that before, you know what I mean? Especially like an older guy, because a lot of where I came from, 
a lot of our dads just moved out or were vacant or just not present. So we never had male role models that were genuinely just down. <laughs> I had one uncle and maybe one neighbor, but I don't know. I just felt like I, it was my time to be that person for somebody else. And yeah, we just had fun. And I worked with the kids for like six weeks or something. We ended up writing this song together and then they entered it for a competition and it won this award. So the kids got to travel all the way down to London and meet the mayor and meet these TV celebrities at the time. And they all won iPods and stuff. They were so happy and thrilled. And it just, it made me feel really good as well. Like we did this together, you know? Ever since that, I just got called, can you come to the youth center again? Or can you come to the other youth center this time? And this guy wants to talk to you about running some classes in school. And over the last 15 years, because that was the first time, it's kind of grown into, I don't want to say career, but it, it's a living, <laughs> I made a living out of doing that and doing music and combining the two together. So I go out on tour or make my music here and then put it down online. And then I'm doing workshops on how I did that in the schools. And now, and, and now it's, it's grown to be more than that. Like even, like I said before, when I was, I was in a different lane with hip hop. So I was in a different lane with the youth work as well. Like we're just doing this cause it's fun and the kids are not making trouble. They're actually here with me. They're doing something productive and you might not like some of the lyrics that they're talking about, but they're here with me. Do you know what I mean? They're not getting into trouble or anything, but now I'm more, I guess doing a lot of narrative therapy. So it's like allowing the kids to tell their story and their traumas and their yeah and then when they put it out and we make it make it good <laughs> we make it sound dope we make it a dope song it's always a dope song so that they're so proud of it at the end and it's like yeah that's me and they can put that on the wall they can put that on you know they can post it or show it to the friends or in juvie we have like a little juvenile radio station so we make sure we play their own songs back to them in the cells and it's, it's taken on a different level of engagement and outcomes and doing that for me as well, not because the youth center said, oh, can you come down and do this? And can you make them a bit like this? Or I'm, I'm like, no, I can do this though. And um, the kids love it and the schools love it. And it's changing lives one at a time. I get messages from Facebook from kids that I worked in England before I moved here. They're still doing positive shit from then and they still attribute it to me and I'm like, ah, it's not because of me. That's actually really beautiful, Joe. I really love that. That actually, I find that very touching. What a wonderful way, I suppose, and, and tool to be able to, you know, help um, keep, provide space to find their light or whatever it is that they need to find in order to, I suppose, um, get in touch with that expressive. And, um, and I, I love the fact that you're doing it in, um, with juveniles and things as well, you know, and in cells and um, yeah. therapeutic. And I'd say, if I'm okay in saying, I'd say it'd almost be part of your healing too. When I was working at the juvie, I get, I get a lot of contracts with um, alternative education, juvenile justice, community centres and health healthcare workers. And it's usually trauma-affected young people that I'm working with, which is 
it's it's a bigger demographic than we care to acknowledge. Even even the kids that are not in these centres, they're still going through some level of trauma. I think everybody does at some point in their life. But this is pretty heavy trauma. A lot of the um, refugees from different parts of Africa um, and the Middle East, um, a lot of new to Australian migrants and, and even some of the older communities as well, like um, some of the older Asian communities out in the West. And I've worked with old Asian ladies making hip-hop songs. <laughs> but it's, it's usually people that have been through some shit and that's the, that's, I've been through some shit as well. Uh, my childhood wasn't all roses, so I can really relate to all these kids in juvie. I just see little me or little me and my friend or what I might have been if I went one step too far or I just see where they live. I see how they live. I see where they're coming from. I've lived it. So a lot of the staff in those centers are from a different neighborhood that looks down on these kids and automatically has a perception of who they are. Yeah. Um, and I think that enables the whole situation to stay there because then the kids are never seen to be anything else. So if you tell somebody you're this enough times, they're gonna believe it and they become it. So my mind's all about, <laughs> it's just about inspiring them and letting them know that they're not shit. <laughs> what you're doing is absolutely beautiful, Joan. I can see how passionate you are about your work and how much um, it affects you in such a positive but impactful way. I'm such an empath as well. <laughs> Man, it's so beautiful. The fact that you, you know, just for you to express that is so touching and deep for you, and I can see it. It's been hard at times. Um, there was one time in particular I was working at the juvie and it, it's hard to even talk about. <laughs> but these kids have been through so much. Like, their own parents are telling them, here, take this box cutter into that shop and get this money. And the kid doesn't want to do it. The kid's scared and anxious. You don't want your dad to get in trouble. They'll put me in prison. They're, you're only a kid. You can do it. And kid's been on heroin since he was nine years old because the dad's been injecting him. Stuff like that, you know, and it just, we're talking about it, like we're putting it in a song and I'm just holding myself back like, wow. And I thought I had it pretty bad. <laughs> These kids, you have no idea. And then they're told that they're shit and they're naughty and they're the bad guys. I'm like, nah, they're just crying out for help, but not getting it. Yeah. So I had to speak to the, the principal. <laughs> I had to speak to the principal. He's like, Motley, you're just a hip hop teacher. Don't worry about the other stuff. And I was like, yeah, but they're telling me these stories and it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. Oh, that's what the key workers for, you know, that's what the counselors for. And it's like, and it's like, they don't talk to these guys because they don't relate to them. They're talking to me. I'm getting all the stories here and I'm going home on a weekend. Like, I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just no level of support, you know? It was like, well, this is the way it is, you know? I was like, at least put me on a counseling course. I'm not even a counselor, just like, give me some psychological training so I know I might be better equipped to tell them what to do. I got a bit of counseling for myself, but I didn't get 
enough support to help the kids, I think. So I had to pull out of there. Yeah. I had to do a bit of self-protection and get a bit of therapy myself. And yeah, because yeah. it's, 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 it's a thin line, you know. I'm so open all the time. So I want to love these kids. But I can't, I can't love them if I've got nothing left, if I'm empty and drained and like, you know what I mean? Shot. Yeah, you can't um, pour from an empty cup. Do you think, Joe, jo, that work that you're doing, that's so remarkable. I love it. Are you only doing that in the Melbourne area? No, I've been booked to go to Darwin as well. Um, so the school that I regularly go to, just in Casarina, um, Casarina High School, College, and I'll be going back there in Easter, actually. Oh, it's always a good time going up there. It's good to break away as well and mix it up a bit. But I'm based in Melbourne, so I'm, I'm all over the communities here in Fitzroy to Footscray to Preston. I've got regular schools and community centers that on a weekly basis, we have something going on. Um, and then occasionally interstate. Um, and I'm looking to go to New Zealand to do a bit out there as well. Yeah, I, I went traveling about eight years ago and I just went around the world and it inspired me to go like I want to just keep traveling more and more saw communities out there I work with communities in Kenya and um, Tanzania and Brazil and Peru oh, just working with kids and it was just amazing like I want to do more of that as well so yeah Joe, if there are and is anyone, so if there or if there are any like principals, teachers, people in the community, government sector that are listening to this podcast and do get inspired by your story and the work that you're doing with kids, there, um, you know, I suppose it's emotional therapy, right, through music and expression, yeah. um, and utilizing, I suppose, your your history, your background in music and your passion and love for not just expression, but developing kids as well. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, I set up a website last year, finally, because I've never had a business card. I've never, it's never been a business, <laughs> you know? It's not, <laughs> but to me, it's not a business. I'm just coming out helping kids. I'm not like, here's my card. I can fix you. <laughs> um, but I made a website purely because I felt like people needed to know where I am and if they want to call me then here I am and the website's called therhymetheory.com and if they go to therhymetheory.com they'll see a video or two and some samples of the kids songs that we've made and a bit of a blurb about what it is that I do so yeah yeah awesome awesome Joe I want to say thank you so much for sharing um just sharing all of that that was just so amazing and hopefully i know you've got so many more stories and i want to tap more into those too so will we see you on again on another podcast perhaps yeah definitely i didn't even tell you the spiritual side of my near-death experience the whole other side or anything you've got to come back for part two for that okay, yeah can we put that on the pin board because i want to go there 100%. all right cool awesome Thank thanks you. a lot